and welcome to the Eastern Kicks podcast, a fortnightly magazine program about East Asian film, led by me, Andrew Heskins, founder and grandmaster of EastonKicks.com, and James Mudge, our leading writer. Each episode, we'll be taking a look at the latest films, news, festivals, and often chatting to filmmakers and stars along the way. Welcome to another festival special from Mayer and Kai. This time reporting on Amsterdam's Cinemasia Film Festival. As the guys know here, even in the space of when this episode was recorded, things have changed a lot. It seems crazy to think that the festival ended just a month ago. Hello, I'm Kai van Zulen and I'm here with... Maya Krobetska. And welcome to the Eastern Kicks podcast, Cinemasia special on the Cinemasia Film Festival in Amsterdam. And um, we are now recording from our homes in Berlin and... In Utrecht, in the Netherlands. And also we didn't have much time in the, uh, at the actual festival to actually record anything. When we, were only, we were only able to meet very briefly there. It was my first time at uh, Cinema Asia and I heard about the festival previously and I was looking through the festival programs in the last years. I was wondering how, did you observe any um, differences between um, how was it this year and in previous years and or just the insight on the atmosphere because I was only there for um, two days. Yeah, um, well, I definitely, um, it's been downscaled a bit. They had a had some budget cuts and I did notice especially like uh, some they always have a big opening night and I think this year the opening night it was in an auditorium that was uh, not that big I think the previous years it had been in a hall cinema hall that was maybe seated twice as many but maybe I'm over exaggerating and it was always full and now there were some empty seats in this smaller venue and there was a lot of talk about the uh, virus in the introductions, although mostly related to um, how it, at that time, still people in Europe were, thought it was something that was far away. But they still were racist against Asian people. Anybody that looked Asian, basically. So all the, I don't know, Dutch Asian people were also running the festival. Like the director, he gave a speech about how this festival is still really important because it's important that we come together, like both the Dutch and the Asian community in the Netherlands, um, that this festival is a bridge for that. And that it's apparently still is very important because the recent events had proved that uh, people got very scared and associated with anything Asian. The same way, I guess, in much of the Western world, like Chinese restaurants have had all of a sudden had uh, problems getting people to come. Yeah, so I guess because of that, there was this different atmosphere this year. And of course, at that time, like there was the first, there had been cases in Europe that were known. So it was like when I met a programmer, where there was already this atmosphere, like should we shake hands or not? But it was not nearly as serious as it is, or taken as seriously as it's taken now. But it was that, so it was more about the reaction of people to it and the fear that it that, that created, so to speak, in non-Asian people. Of Asian people apparently and then the there was also a lot of jokes about it because for instance the um, at the opening film the direct the Japanese director was invited to speak and then she coughed when she got up and she was like oh don't worry it's uh, I was just uh, had a dry throat 
I'm 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 I'm, I'm Japanese and I coughed, but it's not what you think. But a joke's not uh, translating right now, I guess. <laughs> but it was funny when she said it. Yeah, actually, was I was I was talking to one of the organizers when getting the accreditation, and um, yeah, like the, 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 there was an atmosphere that the event could be cancelled any time, and yet it was actually quite special that it was one of the last festivals that was not postponed and one of the last events um, that still happened. Yeah, and, and I was, yeah, looking back on it now, I was like, oh, this is the last festival we were attending for a while, I guess. I didn't didn't, didn't realize that at the time, but it's, yeah, it makes it kind of special. Yeah, I think it's also the, you know, the complete, like, yes, but, yeah, I, I, I mostly know from Dutch people, but I guess it's been like that all over Europe and in the US as well, like this idea that, that that kind of thing doesn't happen here. People have that. Like they can be serious. And then until governments announce things, only then it gets taken seriously. So now it's hard, you know, when people went from people not taking it seriously within a day from people not being able to get toilet paper anymore. Like just like that, it just switched. <laughs> it's really weird. That's how the psychology works. But anyway, um, there was actually more to do at a festival. There were films of what we watched. Yes, because uh, still films are the most important at the festival. <laughs> yes. Except for the atmosphere, obviously, and like people and... Overall, I don't know, I saw people, uh, they came out, it wasn't always full or anything, but I, I, it was, I think the festival did reasonably okay. I think now, of course, we put it in the context of the virus and that people were, uh, that there was racism, but it's, and I guess uh, some, some of that has to be going on because they had to like make a special announcement that there wouldn't be guests from mainland China this year or something like that and so people shouldn't be worried and they put that out like two days before the festival started so I guess some of that played into it but yeah overall I think it uh, they, they, they did okay. Let's come back to this the, the Friday evening uh, because both of us seen uh, we've seen Exit. Yes it's a Korean movie, which basically it's a disaster movie about a toxic gas that gets spread into the city and, well, like any disaster movie, it's really about real relationships between people that need to overcome this disaster. Well, yes, and it was a major blockbuster in Korea, I remember. Yes. It made me think about all these, like, action films from the 90s or 80s that there was, like, a crisis that felt seriously real to some extent and yeah i don't know especially in the context of what's happening now like with yeah with this this crisis situation i think i don't know i was observing people in the screening room and yeah a lot of them were really emotional about the film too they were like you know at the edge of their seats yeah i, I agree and I, I actually i remember thinking that it is like you said it is like those disaster movies of the 90s I think I feel like that was when Hollywood was doing a lot of those but I, I remember thinking at one point during the films like or near the end it was like I don't think I've been this I don't know thrilled by such a blockbuster genre film like uh, in a while especially not like a Hollywood film like a new film yeah it's, it's totally true I was thinking the same thing because I was actually surprised I didn't have any big expectations be before the the and the film started because the the trailer is still it kind of points towards the direction of silly comedies with the elements of action but actually like it's really thrilling and it's like 
Yeah, just the, the, the narrative structure, how it builds up, the tension, it just works perfectly. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's, that, there's, there's these moments when he's like, they're jumping buildings and hanging off buildings. That's, I was really into it. I was really excited and I was really on the edge of my seat. Even though there's this um, this kind of genre that you know that some, the main character's not going to get that hurt. I mean, it's probably not going to happen anyway, though. You're a little bit less. You're a little bit less safe with a Korean film, I feel. But uh, <laughs> it could, something could happen, I feel. But um... there, there were some very like extreme moments of comedy, like for example during the scene when two characters are almost saved, and then they 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 point towards like um, just like a bunch of teenagers who are locked in the apartment across just across the street and it's like i don't know there is this this idea of social responsibility that you don't really get in hollywood films true and then it's it's great because it really works that basically they have to start all over again on their survival game basically to yeah get to another higher grounds to escape the toxic gas and get saved again yes so it basically resets that emotional and, and uh, suspense arc, but it's not like artificial, but it feels like, oh, this is actually because the characters take like a conscious decision to help other people. Yeah. Uh, when they could be saved themselves. And it's a really good good way, like a good structural way to do that. And it doesn't cheapen that, that it gets basically reset and starts that arc again. Mm. Yeah, and it doesn't make them heroes. Yeah, but it's also not like they're 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 also reluctant about because they don't really want to do, but I feel like they have to. Yeah, no, it, it makes them yeah definitely it's it's, it's a humanizing thing, and it's also I feel like yeah like you said that wouldn't happen in a Hollywood movie in the same way, and also I guess I don't want to give away the ending, but the way their relationship develops is also something that would not happen in the same way. It would happen in the same way maybe in a Hollywood movie, but it would be much more exaggerated. If you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, much more pushed and kind of scheduled that. Yeah. You know what's gonna happen should happen at that point and. Yeah, and then this this is, is actually a nice like subdued way to do that. So that was really nice, and it does it has all that, and it still has the same amount of thrills and exciting action moments. Yeah, because like the the romance kind of develops naturally. It's not because like if you're escaping from like toxic gas, you're not thinking about like kissing other people or stuff you're just thinking about escaping yeah yeah and it, it, it's it's and it's especially funny because the whole evening starts because he arranged that he would be there in that building so that he would be able to see her and then as soon as the situation changes and then the cast is released he just they both just go into this survival and savior mode of, for other people and it's not really about that anymore it's mm -hmm. not about that romance and it just there's just just a hint of it because they go so much, so much together, and that's yeah, I really like that. Yeah, it's like more of a partnership, like yeah, exactly. A romance and a very, very uh, like romantic sort of idea. Yeah, it actually it, it reminds me now of I don't know if you remember ending of Speed. Oh yeah, yes. Because they basically say in that film, he said, or he, I don't know if it's Keanu Reeves or Sandra Bullock who says like a relationship that develop in a crisis situation don't you know. They're not gonna last. And then at the end, of course, they have this big romantic moment because they decide to not follow that wisdom. And this is actually seems to be like, yeah, maybe this, you know, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, maybe. 
so that that's that's nice yeah but this is very interesting that you're referencing the um the 90s action film because exit there are scenes like in the buildings that really made me think about james cameron true lies right yeah i don't know if you've seen this one because like there is a scene of arnold schwarzenegger just like galloping on a horse through a building like you know chasing chasing after a guy on a motorcycle and like th there is this mm -hmm. idea of confined space too that plays out i mean it was referencing hong kong cinema previously but like the way that it all mixes and also combining the korean elements it's it's really interesting because like uh, like you know this societal pressure on, on men to have very good job and like to 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 yeah there's just a lot of topics that exit kind of combines and d does it really well yeah and that's also of course that's the the fun and of the, the genre element in that basically the setup is like nobody respects him and especially now because it, like you say he doesn't have a job and then the only thing apparently he was remotely good at was mountain climbing but not even that good at it and then it turns out that yeah he has to use all those skills to survive and ha help other people survive so then all of a sudden it turns it around like this useless skill becomes a uh... and then again also he i think he only did that because he wanted to impress the girl originally years years before that he only started climbing because she was good at it and he was not as good but for now it actually matters and then it becomes this skill that uh they both can use to uh, important effect yeah it's, it's really interesting but because maybe it's it tells us that this kind of unuseful skills that we acquired just because of our hobbies can be actually more useful now, like even during coronavirus, okay? I don't know. Maybe talking about films would be like a super strength during the virus and would help us survive psychologically. Well, I've seen a lot of people uh, saying like, oh, we're introverted moviegoers. We've been preparing for the quarantine our lives. It might be true. <laughs> We'll see. <laughs> I see a lot of people <laughs> saying that. Yeah. Okay, so the exit was um, a genre cinema, but there was another genre film that we've seen. Yes. The, the Wild Goose Lake by Diao Yinan. Yes. Uh, but th that references totally different cinema and totally different period in, in world cinema too. Um, so w what was your impression of, of the film? Uh, I really liked it. Uh, I, I really, really did li liked it a lot. Yeah, the, so the basically from the opening scene with the... It's just this lit by neon lights and this extreme rain that's pouring down and people appear on the screen and a cigarette is lit and it's just or you're immediately in this film noir setting but really colorful at the same time. And then it becomes this, of course it's told to flashbacks then part of it, and it becomes this really interesting film which is on the one hand just this typical noir film almost about a gangster in hiding but at the same time there's a lot of going on. Besides that, that I feel as it uh, sneaks in a lot of commentary about current Chinese culture and society. I don't know how you feel about that. This film combines very, very sad moments and, but on the other hand, very comedic elements. For example, in, in this chase 
uh, of like you know the comparison between the cops and and the gangsters. So the cops are kind of um, dumb and um, clumsy, but the gangsters, on the other hand, they're super violent, but like a little bit clumsy too. And when it comes to sadness, like just the, the idea of being you know, chased after like that. Yeah, and I don't know, I, I think that, um, yeah, just the Wild Goose Lake just plays with two extremes. What struck me is, is that, like you say, the, the clumsiness of the gangsters is mostly it, it, it's very insular in the sense that it's 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 that they cause damage among themselves but mostly but when the cops get clumsy everybody gets hurt and then uh, that's why I feel like um, there was like this this kind of this social commentary element to it almost like was because sure the main guy is a murderer you know he start the film starts with it accidentally kills two police officers so it makes sense that they have this huge manhunt to catch him but at the same time it feels like this overreach because they massively infiltrate this community undercover to find him and then all of a sudden when another gangster gets identified everybody just starts shooting at each other and yeah random people just get hurt they're just living there and and it, and it, it's both like this that makes it very interesting and at the same time that, that the way that shootout is filmed is, is amazing. And I, I, I especially what I what struck me is that the way it, it almost felt like it was it's not one take, it's clearly just a bunch of shots from different perspectives even. But there's this mo it's very specific movement to it all that it almost feels like it's one take. Like it has that sense that it, well, one take tries to accomplish <laughs> that it's just there's all this one big movement. And then there's this dance sequence in the middle of it, which is amazing. Yeah, and, and, and it's all this, this, this constant movement that actually, when I got out of the film, I wanted to walk. Just because the walking is so elegant in that film at some point. There's just this, this sense of movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the style is so consistent. There's actually always a scene of dance or like uh, in Diao Inan's films. And just characters constantly moving from from one place to another, and just assuming different identities. Um, so I think in in Wild Goose Lake is more stylized than in his previous films, but still it kind of plays out this um, this idea of like movement and constantly switching identities. Yeah, and and that actually is encapsulated in that dance sequence because they they take part in the dance to appear as if they're just hanging out in that fair mm -hmm. and they just like walk into the, all these people dancing just start dancing along and then walk along and then somebody else does it as well just to mm -hmm. keep up yeah. discovering you can see all these people everybody's watching one another and you don't know they don't know are these gangsters are these cops are they just regular people that just happen to look weird at you so it's this incredible sense mm -hmm. of paranoia um, and at the same time, everything just keeps going, and, and yeah, I really found that, especially that sequence, is just incredible. Um, but there's a lot of other good scenes as well in the film, and like you said, it's very stylized. It's I've only seen his previous film, Black Coat Thin Ice, mm -hmm. but yeah, this felt like this much more stylized uh, film. It's like it also plays with film noir elements, mm -hmm. but in a much more direct, very formal way. Yeah, and especially like the the way that. The shadows are shot. That actually, like the character leaves the frame, but still you can see his shadow moving on the wall. Yeah. 
this is very 30s sort of cinema. The, the, this is amazingly choreographed. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and you, you mentioned the colors and the neons. And like there is this, I don't know, it really made me think about like all these very strange, you know, amusement parks from the 20s that they had, you know, a lot of exotic animals. And there is a scene in a zoo in the film too. Right, yeah. Yeah, there is this idea of like a, a, the whole world, a miniature of the whole world being, you know, encompassed in this small space. Yeah, just very, very mysterious sort of atmosphere. Yeah, and, and also that that actually fits in. I hadn't thought about it that way before, but that actually fits in with my idea that it's partly a commentary on this kind of clumsy overreach of the police force as the only sense of authority in the film that they come from outside of the, this community that encapsulates the world almost is this com this world on itself and they come from outside basically and they just get in and then well i wouldn't say you don't there's not enough sense of it that they would ruin it but they definitely they're not a force for good per se Mm -hmm. And so yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, that they they're so driven by by the goal of catching this one guy that they they would just sacrifice everything else because they have to meet the quota, you know. So it's it's basically just well, it's not. In it. mm -hmm. It's almost like it's it's revenge actually because he killed two cops. It's not so much about what's good for that for the people or the community. It's like he killed two cops, so now they're out to get him. Yeah, basically. And they use, like, I feel like there at some point there's like more than a hundred people in this small community that's just infiltrating and playing slows. Mm -hmm. uh, ready, and it creates this atmosphere that's it's already tense there. I feel like this because there is like this weird self regulated thing where there's a lot of criminals also, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's just, and then it, because they're there, all of a sudden violence can just erupt at any moment. Yes. Yes, and it's very interesting how the, the role that women are playing in the film because they, they play a very important role of like messengers or just being this a person that the main character wants to contact. I mean, that they are the survivors. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there's the survivors and they're also, they're like, it still feels like they have to navigate this world of violent men. Yeah. yeah, actually them being undercover all the time, their whole life. Even in, in this role of, of baiting beauties. Right, You know, yeah. like, you know, making fun of the, the sort yeah. of silent cinema, baiting beauties. Yeah, and it's very interesting how it plays out with the, the actress herself, because the actress who is playing the, the main female role in the film is Taiwanese and she was um, playing yes. one of the very key roles of like very representative Taiwanese um, youth in 2000, early 2000 films. And for this film, she had to, she had to um, learn like the, the special dialect and totally change her image from like, you know, this sort of girl next door mm to like a, a, a prostitute yeah it, this this casting choice was perfect right yeah and there, that's uh, that works really into the film also because they're these bathing beauties they're prostitutes but they're called like bathing beauties they're not called prostitutes they're so they're supposedly to hide from the law basically like oh we're, they're only yeah just yes, being that yes. girl next door to these yeah. who actually are the customers but anyway like all the acting for, from performances in in this film were just 
yeah, really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, and the music, the whole atmosphere. I, I don't know. Like yes. There's uh, actually have a the whole episode that we can do a, a, about this film, I suppose. Yeah. So John Denver trending, which was one of the uh, Filipino selection at the film festival, which uh, was also really interesting. Um, yeah, and it actually continues the the topic of manhunt. True. Yeah, but in a completely different way, I guess. Uh, yeah, there is this like new idea of a global village, actually, and again organizing the manhunt, but online, that it's equally devastating to the the person who is prosecuted as as the manhunt that it's actually happening. Real life. Yeah, so if yeah, for basically for those who don't know the film, uh, John Denver trending is about a guy named John Denver. I think he's about 14, 12, 13, 14 years old, and he kind of gets bullied by this guy, and then he strikes back, and that when he fights back, that gets filmed and put on the internet, and the friend of the bully puts it on the internet and basically puts it on Facebook or. I think or YouTube or something like that, and it puts this message like, "Look at this monster! Like, look, look what he's doing!" And everybody starts. It just starts this whole like he immediately becomes ostracized. And, and then there's another thing: he, the bully accused him of stealing something that he is stealing his iPad, which he didn't steal. And then it becomes this legal case because yeah, now it's out on the internet, so everybody's got an opinion about that. Yeah, it's very interesting how in, in Philippine cinema right now the like the technology and the devices that young people are using are so important for the whole narrative. Like just recently in at Barina I was saying I was I was seeing um Death of Nintendo that played in generation section. And um well then the the this prop was Nintendo, and then previously, several years ago, there was um, a film, Nervous Translation. And again, like, then, uh, in in this film, the prop was, like, a magic pen and a TV set, like, commercials. Right. And in here, again, that is set, the, the film is set in contemporary times, but again, there is a, a prop that is, uh, in like, a technological prop, um, but... It really influences the young people's lives. Yeah, and and, and it it starts with also these these simple things like it escalates in part because he cannot respond for a day because his Wi-Fi at home is no good, so he can't get a connection mm-hmm. at home, and he only can respond later. And then already the story, just this narrative, and people have judged him and come this thing, and then it escalates, and then and the village mayor has to get involved to mediate. But then mm-hmm. even if uh, he's no longer accused of the stealing of the iPad. You know the video is still out there, and people just still see it, and and, and just keep just keeps getting worse for him, and it's just yeah. Because afterwards, the whole nation is involved. Yeah, and there's this moment because this it's also this like this develops also this this it's the heart of the film is basically also the relationship with his mother, who is in the beginning very critical of him, but as soon as somebody attacks her son. She gets very defensive and she goes to incredible lengths to defend him. But then at some point when she is with that, I think it's the mayor of the town, and she asks him, like, well, what can you do about this video? And she's like, well, it's, it's too late. There's no, nothing that can be... Even if you take down the original, it's already spread so far and everybody has that opinion. So it's, it's hard to change that. And yeah, people, yeah, all kind of like their politicians get involved and, and it's... Mm. Yeah. And it really shows how, how destructive that can be. 
and I don't know, I always get this thing when if I'm watching a movie about a person that's falsely accused of something, I always get really, really gets me angry. So it's almost felt like a thriller to me at times. Like I want. Yeah, I mean, there's this this feeling of being wrongly accused of something in a lot of films right now, I think. Or this idea of being ch- chased after, I think, or um, besieged. Yeah. For example, in another Philippine film, Lingua Franca, that also played at Cinema Asia, was directed by um, Isabel Sandoval. And there is this um, this very, very interesting topic of the life of migrant workers in, in the U.S. and the, the extent of terror that they have to face every day just by walking on the street because they, they can be caught anytime and kind of sent back, repatriated to Philippines. And like, yeah, this, this, this idea of, of feeling in a, in a sort of entrapment and this, this state in between, like not really secure, but not insecure. Yet it's, it's something that really comes, keeps coming back in recent films, I think. Yeah, so anyway, that that was a film that you didn't see. No. So please tell me about the film that I really wanted to see but didn't make it for the screening because of the delay in the transportation, Uh, which was the the Saturday Fiction, the newest film by Loia. Yes, yes. And it was uh, kind of ironic that you had already told me like you wanted to see it so much and then you couldn't make it. And then I ended up seeing it. And I've actually, I had never seen a film by Loya. This was my first film by him. So what was your impression? I really liked it. I was also very confused. Um, oh, because of the, the timeline or so? Well, yeah, this, well, actually, it, 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 it's very intricately plotted. Yeah, it, it stars Gong Li, who plays an actress who is actually a spy in... Um, in Japanese-occupied Shanghai, I suppose. Yeah, this, yeah, that's it, yeah. And she returns to the city ostensibly to save her ex-husband and then also get back into this affair with another with a theater director. But then she also stars in a play he's directing that's about people resisting occupation. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes there are scenes that you think are in the movie, but they're actually in the play inside the movie. And they seamlessly fit, are filmed in such a way that you only realize that you've been watching rehearsals for the play. Because he plays with that, like sometimes it's the real location, and then all of a sudden, like he turns the camera, oh, oh, wait, there's the band on the, on the stage. Uh, this was not, this was actual music that was being played, it was not the soundtrack. <laughs> and all of a sudden the actors stop moving surrounding them, they're like, oh yeah, that was great guys. And So it, it plays with that, and then, I don't know, towards the end, I was really confused also about her and for who she was a spy for. Like the whole movie is gorgeously shot in, in black and white, and there's this shootout, but you can't actually see who's shooting at who because somebody turns off the lights and then all you see is the flashes from the guns and it's the Japanese armies and then there's the spies and then there's the people that are around them that are have their own motives and yeah and it, and that's that's time uh, it's all throughout the movie it's this 
constantly moving camera that um, is similar in a sense, I guess, to the Wildcoot Lake, but in a very different way moving. It's, it's more like a, it's almost handheld at times, I think. And then it plays with, with the sense of reality, like sometimes you're in the play, sometimes you're in the real world. But what is the real world? Was you know, there's all these layers of motivations and, and people uh, lying to each other and all that who's on whose side and, 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 and people that are supposed to be working together not telling each other the complete truth because, well, who can you trust? And it, it I found it very fascinating and also stylistically very, just just great to watch. It looks it's just beautiful. And, well, you know, it all centers mm-hmm. on that performance by Gong Li, who, you know, we know she can carry a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but it, it kind of totally sounds like his previous films. Because, like, the different layers of fiction, it was always playing out as um, yeah, the, something very confusing when it comes to timeline. And, um, yes, especially when it comes to, like, motivation of different characters. Because they have different identities, too. And it depending on whom are they talking with. And, yeah, sometimes it, they, like... For example, in, in Sujong River, two characters are played by the same actress. And um, yeah, one of them just disappears in the middle of the film. And then the character just kind of, after years, finds this doppelganger. But the, the, the other character, just she doesn't know anything about this previous girl. So it's, it's basically just like the story of how we create fiction around the characters and how also how the narrator is is shaping each each character and he just continues to lie to the audiences because like yeah i remember there was this one one saying um in in the interviews with loia because there was this um article about sixth generation uh, filmmakers called uh, my camera doesn't lie and that's one of the quotes from loia but what the continuation of this is that yeah my my camera doesn't lie but I do. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, there's this like this this the deliberate confusion that he wants to inflict on the audience. Yeah, well that that works and it's a lot of fun. But I also afterwards I was like I did not really get what this was about. Yeah, I think it 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 it, it worked for me up until a point where she says something and then somebody reads a letter by somebody and then I was like wait but who sent Mm -hmm. that letter it can only be that person but it doesn't make any sense with previous motivations so is there is there another layer here or Mm -hmm. and then I got lost but I I, I talked to somebody Mm -hmm. who was at that screening with me and and he said oh he that he gave up on that with the first 15 minutes he was like I didn't try to figure it out at all anymore so he said he was my he's more focused on like camera movements and whatnot (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Sometimes it's it's just too deliberate that um, that that sort of confusion just makes you tired, not enchanted. People can still be like focused on the story, but just assume that they it doesn't have to make sense. And I feel like that's I, I think that's intentional. I do. I mean, you get lost with the characters. I think because they're also at some point not sure what to think anymore. I think I think that's very deliberate. But I find myself not thinking about it anymore because I feel like I'm not getting anywhere. Well, was it the other film? I feel like the more it just keeps reverberating in my head, the the richer it becomes. 
and I don't get that sense with Saturday Fiction, I guess. I think that you you might like more The Purple Butterfly, because that's actually the, the film from 2003, um, starring Zhang Ziyi. Um, that Loie actually... Um, it is, it is. It's, it's Loie is the story in the same time period, but it's way more linear and way more clear when it comes to characters' motivations and, and you know, the, the, the whole logic of, uh, the narr- of the storytelling. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah I was I was really curious how these two films can be compared. Like also when it comes to the time difference in the cinema. Exactly. Um, how his yeah. changed over the years and with with this the setback with a ban on filmmaking and then yeah, yeah, like really, a series yeah, we'll of see. just very very mm. tough negotiations with the censors and um, yeah I was just really curious if he would come back. To himself with his with this film maybe it at some other festival when this whole coronavirus situation will pass i will get the chance to see this film on the big screen and let's hope that we will do another podcast at another film festival sometime yeah maybe at another another rotterdam or in cinema asia next next year yeah, right now everything feels like it's up in the air this year for the foreseeable future. Like it's been postponed, but who knows where it Italy will be in two months? I don't know. We it's hard to tell right now what's what's gonna happen. So I think that with this not optimistic, not so optimistic note, we can we can wrap up. Yeah, and let's enjoy watching films a lot of at home. Yes, and wash your hands. To join us for our next full podcast, and we'll be taking a timely look at classic Hong Kong comedy, particularly of a mole town style. If you've got any ideas on films or styles we should discuss, then let us know on our social channels. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and even LinkedIn. Just use the hashtag EK Mole Tower. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you'll always get the latest episode. You can find us on Spotify, Google, and of course Apple. But until the next episode, stay safe, stay in the home, and stay well. We'll be back again soon. <laughs>